Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 264. If you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly bear. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Award-winning author and designer Dwight Knowlton has done it again. His book, The Greatest Race, is now available. The Greatest Race is the story of Sir Sterling Moss's epic and record-crushing win of the 1955 Mille Miglia in the Mercedes-Benz 300 SLR. In collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss himself, Dwight has created a wonderful children's book from this epic race as a follow-up to his best-selling book, The Little Red Racing Car. I have my own copy of The Greatest Race, and I can tell you, this kid's impressed. Like his previous book, this one is printed in the USA. Check out Dwight's Carpe Viem brand, where you can find both of his books, shirts, and more that embrace his seize the road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Viem at carpegear.com, and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're at his website. That's carpegear.com, C-A-R-P-E gear.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Tim Constantine. Tim, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm buckled up. All right. Let's just nail it. Let's just do it. Yeah, put our pedal down. Tim Constantine is a photographer, a producer, a racer, an author, a consultant, and two-term president of the Motor Press Guild, the largest automotive press association in the United States. He anchored the first live worldwide cybercast of the Indianapolis 500 and pioneered streaming audio internet reports from the 24-hour of Le Mans. He's received the coveted Motor Press Guild Dean Bachelor Award, and his epic three-volume book, Twice Around the Clock, The Yanks at Le Mans, is in the works. He's a contributing editor of Road Track Magazine, has been in the past, and numerous other automotive publications. You'll remember Tim from his appearance in the Spin and Marty show on Walt Disney's original Mickey Mouse Club. And if you're old. <laughs> if you're really old. And in the TV series, My Three Sons. Tim, I've told our listeners just a little about you. Would you take a moment, share a little bit more about your life, your interests, and of course, your passion for automobiles? Well, you've just gone through my whole life. I, I didn't even realize I'd done all that stuff. Yeah, you've been around. <laughs> Actually, the, the truth is I've forgotten. That I did all that stuff. <laughs> no, I've been, I've been very blessed. I've been into cars all my life. You know, in California, cars are, are it. Los Angeles in particular, we're a racing center, automotive center, and uh, we have great weather. And so it's a natural thing, cars. Uh, uh, I've been into cars since I was a wee lad. It sounds like you've done a little bit of everything. So let's talk a little bit before we get into some of these questions about what you're working on right now. I know we're going to talk about it maybe a little later, but we joked in our pre-show chat here about this book or series of books that you're producing. And you seem to say you've been working on this forever. This project, Twice Around the Clock, The Yanks at Le Mans, is about my favorite race, the 24 Hours of Le Mans. And... uh, I, I had written about it, and I had read about it, of course, first, and then I had written about it. For years, I finally got to go there in the uh, early or mid-90s, and I've been there many times now, and, and in the uh, and in different in different ways. I uh, We did the uh, 
we did the website for General Motors uh, in 2000 when they brought the Cadillac, Cadillacs, as the French call them, and, <laughs> and, and the Corvettes. My company provided the uh, content for the General Motors website that year. So that was an interesting way to go. Then I edited the ACO's English language, uh, ACO's, uh, the I can't even say it, the automobile, the West or whatever, <laughs> it, their, their, their own, uh, that's the sanctioning body, their own website. I edited the uh, English language part of their website. Mm-hmm. So that was an interesting way to go. Then I've been with teams and I've been with drivers. I mean, I'm, I'm really blessed. I say every day of my life, pretty near every day. Thank God there's no justice in this world. <laughs> you know? uh, but I've been on this project for years. I, I wrote another book about Grand Prix, and, and that was well-received and, and all. But this is a monumental epic project. I had no idea it was going to be as long and as big. It was started out to be one volume. It's now three volumes. and wow. uh, And it's pretty neat. It's uh, but I've been doing interviews for hmm, about twenty five years. Oh my honestly. gosh! Wow. Just about just about this, just the drivers and the team members and and owners and what have you. Wow! Uh, all Americans. It's only about Americans. It's mostly, as much as possible. It's uh, in their words. It's in quotes. It's their experiences. It's not the it's not the results. We know the results. We know who won. You know. Sure. So anyway, that's what takes up all my time now. I hardly have time to do. I did one magazine story last year, which is really weird for me. But uh, this is what I do. I'm uh, in the room where I am. I work or I'm on the phone or I'm going to do an interview. I hardly, I, I, I don't even get to go to the races as much as I'd like to anymore just to do this. Well, it's going to be great when it's done. I've been fortunate enough to have a couple guests on the show who've raced at Le Mans, been to Le Mans, Peter Brock, of course, uh, Vic Elford, of course, and uh, several others, and it is an epic race. So I can't wait to have this uh, grand finale, if you will. I'm sure it's not the last thing you'll ever work on, but it certainly is something. It may be. (laughs) I I just hope I finish the damn thing before I tip over. There you go. (laughs) There you go. Well, as we continue on your journey, Tim, I always like to ask my guests for a success quote, some type of mantra or saying that has a good meaning for you. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So, Tim, take the wheel. Well, I mean, I have a, a, a several life credos, but one of them I got when I was racing. I was racing a twin-engine go-kart. That kind of dates me because twin engines were a long time ago, and I hesitated going on Riverside Raceway, so that does date me. Yeah. I hesitated on the first lap, and a national champion got in front of me, and it took me a long time to get back around him, mm-hmm. which I eventually did. But a friend of mine was right behind, and he saw this, and he came up to me after the race, and he said, uh, Tim, if you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly bear. <laughs> I love Meaning, that. Meaning, if you're going to pass pass and i've never forgotten that uh and it's not just in racing if you're going to do something do it yes don't fool around and say well an edge up do it or don't do it you know and and uh one of my all-time favorite people as far as racers uh, dan gurney uh who did the forward for the first volume of, of yanks i call him the grizzly bear because there was no doubt if gurney was in the race there was no doubt 
he was going to make a try if he was behind somebody. So you just watch him. He was a grizzly bear. Yeah. He was never fooling around, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I call him grizzly bear. <laughs> I, you know, I love Dan. I'd love to get him on the show. I know he's so busy with all the things he's doing now. But there was a great line in the movie recently about Ayrton Senna where his battles with uh, Prost and where he talked about, you know, if we're not going to take that opportunity and pass, then racing is done. Racing is over. Why are we even here? And it, your saying reminds me a lot of that. I think uh, Ayrton Senna was definitely a grizzly. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it isn't just for racing. It's everything in life. Yes. If you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly bear. I love it. <laughs> you know, and, and I try and do that, and I tell people that. You know, yeah. I mean, if you're going to do something, do it. Do it. Ah, <laughs> it's a great mantra to go through life. I love that. Would you share a story with us that instigated your passion for cars. In our pre-show chat, we talked a little bit of going all the way back to Spin and Marty, your days on Walt Disney, but but even further back than that. And tell us about that pivotal moment in your life when you really knew you were a car guy. Gosh, you know, I wrote a piece once for Road and Track called Driving Your Father's Car. And I recounted driving my father's car because it was the first time I ever drove any car of any kind. Mm-hmm. And it was a 19, let's see, what was it, a 1948 or 49, 48 Cadillac he had. Wow. This was long after 1948. You know, I was, I I think I was about 12 years old or 13 years old. Mm -hmm. And um, it was in the garage and he left keys in it. Uh oh. (laughs) And, And I figured out how he started it and all of that. And, uh, and that was the first car I ever drove. And I drove it, oh, gosh, I don't know, about two or three feet <laughs> before I hit the front of the garage. Uh-oh. And, uh, and I don't know if that, you know, was a pivotal moment except that I, I loved it. <laughs> Even those, that foot and a half to two feet before I hit the garage, I loved it. The feeling. Yeah. And I've always been into cars, always been into cars since I was a little kid. Oh, marvelous. I love that story. That's great. (laughs) What I'd love to do now is look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood. As I say, get our hands a little dirty and and ask you to share a huge challenge or even a great failure that you've faced at some point throughout your career. You've had so many different life experiences, different careers, different genres. The best part of this question has to do with the story and how you overcame that situation, and even better, what did you learn from it that you can share with the Cars Yeah listeners? Gosh, that's a really tough question. As you say, I've, I've participated in so many things. <laughs> I, I'm sure I've pushed back the failures, I, but I have failed in every one of those things, by the way. <laughs> and to put my finger on one failure that, I mean, I've learned a lot from, you learn a lot from your failures. Right. But I, but I, there's not one that, at least that comes to mind, there's not one pivotal one that, that relates to cars I'm trying to think of. I used to be, this sounds funny, but because I had a background as in the entertainment industry, I was a very bashful person. And, um, and anybody who knows me now would say that's ridiculous because <laughs> I'm not. I just am not yeah. uh, now. But I sure was back then. And I remember literally moments where I was on stage or about to do, I remember a telethon that I was supposed to be on. I was a guest on it. I was at Disney 
And literally, my knees knocked together before mm. they came to me. I mean, and I thought, this is ridiculous. What's going on? It was an absolutely involuntary thing. Right. My knees were actually knocked. And I did have a pivotal moment that had to do with that. And that was at uh, Disney Studio. We were being, the mice and Spin and Marty and the Hardy Boys and all that, were being introduced to an audience. I guess it was studio employees, but I'm not sure. But it filled the theater and I know I was really rocking crazy, uh, uh, worried before I went on. I was supposed to speak and whatever, and, and I just was terrified. And I finally took myself aside <laughs> just before I went on and said, this is really stupid. So I talked to myself and, and got myself all pumped up and said, essentially, they want to hear what you have to say. They they're going to like you, you know. They want to see you and all of that. And I armed myself with this phony strength, you see. And, and mm -hmm. I went up on stage, and I kept that, you know, that mantra, if you want, going. And sure. and, uh, and by God, it worked. <laughs> and and then I saw that the crowd kind of just warmed, and that got me going, you yeah. know. And I took that into my personal life because I was a very bashful person. I never liked to go to big parties, I, to walk into a crowded room. It was always a problem for me. Yeah. And I used that later. And uh, I mean, uh, a separate and distinct from, from the industry. And, and it worked for me personally. And I, what I got from it was we really project half of what we see coming back. And if we're at ease and it is with ourself, mm -hmm. then any fences that are put up are theirs, and they don't affect you or me. There you go. You know, it was a huge lesson that, that I became much more at ease in social situations. Mm. And now uh, I'm at ease no matter where I go. Some people <laughs> say too much at ease, you know, but, but it, it doesn't matter if I'm in the company of presidents or kings or, or on, uh, somebody gave me a wonderful compliment once when I was a lot younger, said... Uh, that I was the only person in my family that could be comfortable sitting on the curb of, a, of the street. Hmm. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, that's probably right. <laughs> it just, uh, yeah, I am, I'm comfortable anywhere I go now. Yeah. But it, it really started with that thing that, that started at Disney Studios. It was a conscious thing. Talk to yourself, get yourself up, and, and, and then it, it just worked. It just worked. A lot of what you're sharing here is really important, especially for entrepreneurs, people starting out in whatever career. But if it's an automotive career, it's called the imposter syndrome. And it's something that people are trying to start in their careers and they feel like an imposter because they haven't mm. quite made it yet. Mm. And what you said is really important in that talk to yourself and you just go out there and present yourself. Be yourself. Be yourself. And be yourself even That's better. Yes. It. <laughs> That's it. Yes. Well, Very important. It's a really great lesson for people to learn. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. You've done so many different things, but I'd love for you to share an aha moment along the way, something that instigated or, as I say, the headlights came on and illuminated your way for maybe a new direction or a new idea. It could be for this book you're writing. And tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success. There was, you know, I was thinking about that. There was an aha moment, but it was, uh, it, that has to do with, with uh, my writing. I had started writing, this is in the 80s. I had started writing 
uh, I did some columns for William Sapphire and the New York Times Magazine on language because I'm interested in language. And uh, I had done a couple of guest things for him, and I had written a couple of other pieces. But I'd never written anything about cars. I don't know why. I just didn't, you know, until I got to uh, – I took my son to uh, Indianapolis when he was – I guess he was eight years old. It was 1988. And I was the guest of Donald Davidson, the histor- historian, wonderful historian about Indianapolis. There's nobody knows more about Indianapolis than he does. He's the historian for the museum, the Indianapolis yes, yeah. the museum and, and all that. I was his guest, and we were his guests, my son and me. And uh, this was in 1988. And uh, he said to me, why don't you write about cars? He said that you know more about that and have more experience. And I said, uh-huh. well, I never thought about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I and do. So he kind of made it uh, possible by planting the idea. And then he uh, he talked to uh, a publisher that year and i wrote something in the in the uh uh yearbook indianapolis yearbook mm-hmm. uh, that year and i wrote a story and that story i believe it was that story that was picked up by auto week uh later and that was sort of the beginning of my career if you like as an automotive journalist it was an aha moment because i had just never thought about it you know he said, that's what you know. Yeah, sometimes it's the simplest things. Very cool. Well, how about proudest moments? You've probably had many in your life, in your careers, but is there one in particular you could share with us? Uh, yeah, you know, this is a proud moment. Yeah, this is a proud moment, but it's as a father. Okay. And it has to do with what we just said. I took my son to Indianapolis when he was eight years old. He's now 35. And uh, he has a business, and he's very good in his business. He's known around the world. He makes motor racing simulators, CXC simulations. Oh, cool. He makes the best one that that pros can actually bring into their home. Wow. Not, not a dedicated building or anything, you know. You know, I think maybe we need to have him on this show. Oh, he, he's very good. But anyway, I took him, the last time I took him to Indianapolis was about two or three years ago. Now, I've been in motor racing for years. First time I went was in 1963. Wow. 500. So I, through, by gosh and by golly, I am privileged to know a lot of people in racing. A lot of people. A lot of drivers, a lot of owners, and what have you. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it's my life. And so when I go someplace, people know me and they say hi to me. Well, in, I forget what year, it might have been 2000, probably 10, 12, 2012 or 13, mm-hmm. I took my son back to Indianapolis. And we're walking through the garage area, gasoline alley. And I'm waving at people and saying hello to people. Well, and so is he. And people are saying, hey, Chris. And I would say as many people knew him as knew me. Wow. How special. And I thought, this is so cool. Yes. You know, uh, and it makes perfect sense to me, but it was a, it was a real moment for me where I went, wow, nice. this is great. That's and as awesome. a father, I tell you, that, that's the best. You of know? course it is. Yeah. Oh, what a wonderful story. I love that. Hey, let's, <laughs> let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special vehicle? And maybe you could share a memory that you have with that car? Well, uh, I was taken out of school and went to school at work and, and 
doing uh, here get up there and we've got luke who just a moment uh, with luke the dog luke the dog just joined the show <laughs> i was working in high school when you get your in california anyway you, when you were 15 16 that's when boy it was hot you had to have a car yeah and i didn't do anything else except work so and go to school at work so i convinced my mother that uh, but I was a real car fiend and the car that I thought was so incredible was an Alfa Romeo Giulietta Spider it oh, had just come out yes it was gorgeous beautiful it cars was gorgeous so I convinced my mother that this was the car this was the car I should have the first car and that was my first car oh my gosh and it was and I had wonderful experiences uh, most of which I can talk about in the car. <laughs> uh, well, that's good. <laughs> as you can imagine. Oh, yes. But I mean, it was the car I learned to slide in. Well, actually, that's not true. I learned to slide. The first time I ever slid a car on purpose uh, was uh, my mother's 1956 Chevrolet. <laughs> uh, and uh, and that was on the parking lot of Disney Studios. I convinced a, 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 a parking guard at the studio on the weekend when the studio is closed but he's there and right. I knew him and waved at him all the time so I can I said I'm going to come back Saturday and I'd like to drive my mother's car around the parking lot he said oh sure you know he didn't know what the heck I wanted to do yeah. so I went out there and boy I got this thing sideways and all this and, <laughs> and finally when I came back to the gate he said you know if anybody ever saw that I would get fired yeah that was the first and last time that ever happened <laughs> but that was the first time I slid a car but I really learned to drive the in that Julietta series in the Julietta beautiful car well I, I and, love it uh, and I had it was the first time I was ever on a motor racing track Paramount Ranch legally was oh. in that car okay I had snuck on before but uh, this was this was legal yeah and that was an aha moment because and it really was and this is something that maybe maybe somebody will get off from I thought I drove fast and you know, I learned it. I'd go up at night. I'd wake myself up uh, when it was raining in particular to mm-hmm. go up on Mulholland so that I could slide around and I didn't have to go so fast sure. to slide, just yeah. to learn, you know. Uh-huh. It's crazy, but that's what I did. I was young and stupid. And <laughs> uh, so I thought I drove fast, right? And the first time I got on a racetrack legally, there was just this immense sense of relief. It was like, oh, yes. <laughs> and I was literally saying, yes, because I was going fast and I was supposed to be going fast. Yeah. And there was nobody going to come around the corner and there was nobody in my rear mirror, view mirror with red lights. And I didn't have to worry about hurting anybody. I was supposed to be. And I realized then there's no such thing as driving fast on uh, on the street. Yeah. It's stupid, you know, because you cannot completely commit. And if you do, you're an idiot. Yeah. You know, and, and have, I mean, you're certifiably yeah. crazy. <laughs> but it, it, street, street driving was never the same to me after I was on a race course. And I would tell anybody, and I do tell anybody, listen, if you want to drive fast, get yourself to a karting school or go to an open practice uh, track day. Club and get event. A little instruction, but do it on a track because you'll never be the same. Yes. You'll yeah. never think you're driving fast again, and and that's right. <laughs> yeah. I've had many, many instructors, people who run racing schools or run courses, tracks, and things uh, say the exact same thing. So it's it's really great advice. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle that you let go in your life that you really wish you still had in the garage? I wish I had them all. 
<laughs> not really, though. You know, people ask me that all the time because I, I really have been blessed with wonderful cars. I mean, really wonderful cars. I, I think I sent you a picture of one that I did a story on for Road and Track. Yes. The, the 250 GT. That was a one-off. The 1956 uh, Geneva Pininfarina Salon car. Mm, yes. A one-off. was uh, one of seven prototypes that were made all different uh, for the uh, uh, Tour de France model Ferrari. Yes. Uh, and it was the one that, that was the closest to what the Tour de France looked like. And that's one that I had occasion to come back to after many years. I mean, when I owned it for about three weeks, it was 1960. And I wrote this story in, I don't know, 95 or 6 or 7 or something like that. Mm -hmm. I forget what year. Anyway, but it was a big story in Road and Track. And I got a reunion with this car. And uh, honestly, I've always answered the question, wouldn't you like to have your cars back again? And I've always thought... I've always made the analogy. Now it's kind of like your high school girlfriend. You know, you, you, you had a great time with her. She had a great time with you. You loved each other and, you, and everything was melody and fine. You'd probably hate each other now. Not something to go back to. And cost a lot of money yep. for both of you, you know, and yeah. a lot of grief and so on. So I always think about it that way. No, I had my way with my cars and they had their way with me and I loved them and I'm not a collector. Yeah. I, I just love cars and yep. and all that. But... I must say, driving this Ferrari was just so intense. I, I, the guy was uh, uh, Mr. Harrington of the Harrington Catalog, owns it now. Oh, Lee Harrington, yeah. Yes, and he just uh, literally gave it to me for a couple of days. I wow. went back to New Hampshire where it lives. And uh, God, what a it was reunion. Just this marvelous car. <laughs> and I remember when I first came to it and first saw it again. The same thing happened to me. The hair stuck up on my neck and in my arms when I saw this car. And it was just the most beautiful car, uh, you know, the, the, and, and it still is the most beautiful car. Yeah. Although there's one of mine that, that kind of rivals it. But, but this was one you could drive on the street easily. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I don't know that I wish I had it back, but if I had it, I'd drive it, you know. I hope but so. But then if I had, I had, uh, I had great fortune. I had a... Short-nosed D-type Jaguar. Ooh. I had an Oscar, uh, uh, 1500cc racer. Uh, I had that Ferrari. I had various and sundry other yeah. cars. Oh, uh, an aluminum-bodied Mercedes-Benz 300SL Gullwing. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, and, and as I say, I, I had my way with them. They had my way with me. I must say, the only one of those that I had new was uh, the uh, Oscar. Uh, wow! Very yeah. cool. Very unique car too. Yeah, very cool. Really about seventy-five of them made. So yeah, yeah. very Pretty cool. Well, nice drive down memory lane we just took. I love it. Now let's yeah. talk a little bit about current projects. I'd love for you to share a little bit more about this book project you're working on. Maybe what instigated that project? You say you've been working on it for many, many years, but uh, you know we're all waiting with bated breath. You need to get this thing done for us. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I say, I hope I finish it before I tip over. You know. <laughs> It's gotten to be this epic. I'm into history. I'm into motor racing. I'm into Grand Prix. I wrote a book about Grand Prix, about Americans in Grand Prix, called American Grand Prix Racing, A Century of Drivers and Cars. I liked the book. When I read it, though, when I read it, I thought, you know, the part that I really liked the best is when they're talking. 
when the drivers or the you know the team people are talking that's when i'm learning things and and uh, it's it's not me talking it's them talking that's what i'm interested in and so probably that's what readers are interested in so i vowed that if i did another book like that a big history that i'd do it as much as possible from the point of view and through the words of the drivers now that's that's a nice thing to say but there are 320 some plus drivers that american drivers american drivers who have driven at le mans and some of them a couple of them have driven you know maybe 15 times so it's not just once <laughs> it's there's a story every year they drive right. so my task has been for many years to get as many stories as I can from as many years as I can from as many drivers as I can. And, I mean, I'm, I'm transcribing an, an, uh, an interview I did in 2010 today. Uh, <laughs> and I haven't read it. I haven't heard it uh, until uh, today, you yeah. know, since 2010. But I'm writing the year that this fellow drove. He only drove one year at Le Mans. He's the brother of a very famous driver, Eddie Cheever's brother. Oh, okay. Indianapolis winner. Uh, yeah. And uh, he's the younger brother. He was very quick, Ross Cheever. Yeah. He didn't have a, a, a long career other than in Japan where he raced for eight years, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, but he ran at Le Mans once, hated it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the story. You yeah, know? yeah. And why? Wow. You, you hear him, why he didn't like it and yeah. and uh, and that's that's interesting that wouldn't be in another book yes. because he didn't win yeah yeah you know uh, the experience so but if that's what this book is about yeah it's wonderful. about experiences uh. on and off track well so it's fun to work on honestly yeah. because i'm hearing the kind of stuff that i like uh, from these guys, and I hope that readers, I, I I think they'll they'll like it. You know, I think so. I had Vic Elford on in part of my talk with him. He talked about racing Le Mans. He's the only driver to have driven every Porsche 917 model at Le Mans, and he shared some of those stories. And I won't repeat them. Our listeners can go back and listen to them. But I know exactly. Oh, what he's you're talking about. Yeah, great to talk he's with. Fantastic. Yeah. Yes. A lot of experience. Quick Vic. Quick Vic, absolutely. Braver than Dick Tracy. Yes. Oh, gosh. Yes, yeah. absolutely. You can see, actually, you can see some of his, oh, I forget the year now, was it, was it 69, 70, somewhere around there. My memory is terrible. My scholarship's pretty good, but my memory is awful. <laughs> and the first, I think, year that he drove a 917 at Le Mans, and, they, and you can see it on YouTube. And just watch that car being sideways. Oh, yeah. You know. <laughs> it's it's mind-boggling. It's just amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Now, Tim, here's a very introspective question for you. It kind of delves into how you perceive yourself. If Tim was a car, what kind of car would he be and why? Wow. Gosh. I think the only car I ever kept, I have yet. Uh, that's my daily driver when I drive. I'm mostly in this room here when i drive i drive a well legally it's a 1967 mini cooper s oh it is allegedly the oldest singly owned mini cooper s in this country really yeah very cool what 48 years or 49 years whatever i've had it yeah and i bought it new all right and the thing i like about it one of the things I like about it, other than that it's the most tactile car that you could ever drive. I used to race go-karts, and it's like that. It is, yeah. 
I also liked about it that it's no big deal on the outside and that it's a, an overachiever. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have big wheels and fancy things and, yeah. you know, super swoopy. It's just this little box, but by God, it, it, at least in its day, it was a super performer. Got a big heart. <laughs> and it, well, it embarrassed a lot of people with super zoomy cars too, yeah. I would say, when I was young and stupid. See, this is why I like that question. I think you answered that most excellently. Well, <laughs> I'd like that. to be that. I, you know, I hope I'm an overachiever. I hope I'm more than uh, uh, my, uh, the way I present myself. <laughs> I think you're doing just great, buddy. <laughs> so Tim up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to our Cars Yeah sponsor. No more worries about a dead battery. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium-ion technology that'll start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle every time. It includes a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight, and it easily recharges with USB outlets so you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool. It's safe and easy to use. Quality, design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at Genius Charger Okay, Tim, we're back and we're entering the last lap. You've been a racer. You know what this God, means. Don't say that. <laughs> we I'm won't... old enough where that means something big. <laughs> something big. <laughs> the checkered flag. Look out. <laughs> well, we're getting up to the checkered flag. But for right now, this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions. And you give our listeners some really quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Sure. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Hmm. Oh, well, I can give you one. Anyway, I don't know that it's the best. You have one move in an emergency. <laughs> you have one move. Great stuntman, Kerry Lofton. Uh, I took him out on the back lot of a Universal Studios sliding around in an MGA because I wanted his chops. I wanted him to teach me. And a, a rabbit ran across in front of us. I had my hand, one hand on the steering wheel, one hand on the gear shift. Uh-huh. Rabbit went across. We missed him, but it was no thanks to me. My one move was from the gear shift up to the steering wheel. That was the the, the one thing that I had time to do. Yeah. And he said right there, Tim, <laughs> if you're in an emergency, you have one move. one move. Your move was to the steering wheel. It could have been to move the steering wheel. Yes. <laughs> there you so go. You, so keep your hands on the wheel. Keep your hands on the wheel and the rabbit <laughs> <Yeah>. will survive. <laughs> and pay attention. Concentration is the most important thing in the world. Yes. When you're driving. Absolutely. Yes. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has helped you along the way through your life? Wow. Jeez. I don't know. Well, I told you my – that thing about if you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly bear. That's one yep. for sure. Yep. Uh, I, I don't know. It's uh, it's just be bold. You know, mm-hmm. do what you want to do and yeah. just take a big swing. Take a big swing. Big swing. I love yeah. that. There you go. Taking big swings. But that's what it means. If you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly bear. Yeah, I love it. How about a resource? Is there a resource you're really fond of that you think our listeners would enjoy? Maybe it's a, a website or a blog you get or – A resource for strength and uh, – to make life easy is my wife. 
<laughs> Marry the right <laughs> 36 woman. 36 years. <laughs> well, congratulations, Mary. You know, I've heard that from many of my guests is uh, selecting the right person to go through life with. And it's a lot about who we who we spend most of our time with, too. You know, oh, we're kind of absolutely. a combination of that. Absolutely. So. And hopefully both of those are the same, you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, for those fortunate. In my been, case, they are. I've been married. I've been married thirty plus years. So, uh, yeah, I, I share your joy in that. How about a book? This could be a tough one, but I see you sitting here in front of a, a big library of books. But is there one book in particular you think the Cars Yow listeners would really enjoy? One of the great racing books of all time is is called Time and Two Seats. Oh gosh! And you're very lucky <laughs> if you can get it. Yes, by Janusz Wimfen. I bought those the, when they first oh, came yeah. out. Very lucky. Yeah. You're very lucky. Yeah. Uh, that's a wonderful book. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's one of those books that uh, if you only did that book in your life, you leave something behind that's really meaningful. I, I hope that's what I aspire to do with this Le Mans book. Uh, I believe it will be the history of Americans at Le Mans. Perfect. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources at carsyad.com slash Tim Constantine. And Tim's last name is spelled C-O-N-S-I-D-I-N-E. All right, we talked about the checkered flag a few minutes ago, and we're up to the checkered flag. This last question can be a real doozy for a car guy. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, but today I'm going to buy you whatever you'd like, so don't worry about the cost or anything. What would that one vehicle be? And more importantly, why? It would probably be that 250 GT Competizione. Mm, the one that you had? Why is because, yeah, and that I wrote about many years later, because it was still, it was, you know, back of the day when when <laughs> Ferraris were Ferraris and when supercars were supercars. In those days, there weren't a lot of regulations. I mean, nowadays, the, the vehicles are much better nowadays. This is, you know, people said this is a golden age back then. Nonsense. This is a golden age for <laughs> vehicles and for racing. There's some things that I don't like about it, but nevertheless, the, the machines are just brilliant, yep. amazing machines. But if you're talking about streetcars, there's so much regulation now that there's a great sameness. There has to be about cars, even with supercars. Mm-hmm. They all kind of look alike. They all have worked out all the bugs, and so there's certain ways to do things, and, they, and they're wonderful vehicles. This car that, that was built in 1960, what did I say, 60? Oh, 50. That's why it was <laughs> so hard to remember. It was built in 1956. That car, every part on it had someone's name on it. Mm. Colombo built the engine. Some I don't know the name, but some Italian guy built the gearbox. It was the latest iteration of a gearbox that Ferrari had built, and they put it into this car. Yeah, yeah, it was noisy and and it wasn't smooth like they are now, but it had a personality. It, yes. it talked to you. It talked with a rather loud voice actually to you. <laughs> yep. But it was wonderful that you could actually feel the work and the passion of the people who put this car together. Yes. You know, and they didn't put it together as well as the the machines put them together now. Of course, I, I, I grant Handmade. you that. But it was talking to you, yeah, all the time. <laughs> and I made, I actually made a recording of it while I was nice. driving it. And nice. now and again, I go back to it just to make the hair stand up on my arms. So it would probably, if there was one, it would probably, I guess, it would be that one. Tim, you have taken me on a great ride today. I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed your stories. And 
I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Ferrari Competizione? Uh, <laughs> pay attention if you're driving. <laughs> Don't be texting, taking calls, playing the radio. Pay attention. Very good advice. Definitely, and especially for our younger drivers these days. My goodness, please pay attention. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you? Why would they want to do that? <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, actually, I don't know. I, I've written books and stuff and, and look up magazine articles and road and track. And Do you have a website, Tim? Not a public one. No, Not I a public. don't. Okay. I do for, I do for, uh, for clients, uh, uh-huh. photography clients and stuff like that. So best thing would be to Google you and uh, look I up. I guess. I guess. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. I appreciate it. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything. Tim has shared with us today at carsyad.com. Just put Tim in the search box and his show notes page will pop right up. Tim, hey, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise. And I hear Luke in the background saying, hey, it's time to go throw the ball. It's time to throw the ball. And And I want to thank you for sharing your life with me and the listeners. It's been great fun. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.